if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to finish up chapter 1 and jump into chapter 2 a little bit this morning. But we're continuing to walk through this letter from Paul to the Colossian church. Now we've already discussed that there are concerns among the, the, the church, there were concerns among church leaders about what was going on in the city of Colossae. New theologies, philosophies, and other ideas are gaining momentum within the culture. And there's this great fear that possibly, that, that if we're not careful as a church, those ideas would start to seep through the walls of the church, and people within the church would start believing those ideas and leave the true gospel and what they truly believe about Jesus. It's important that we guard our hearts of these things even today. And so Paul, writing this letter to the Colossian church, is reminding them of the foundation of their faith. So he's basically answering these questions. What is the foundational theology of the faith? What is the foundational truth as to how they live out their faith daily? So we started off this series in Colossians looking at what it meant foundationally to be a part of the family of God, to be a part of the church. And last week, we looked at the the foundational theology of who Jesus is according to Scripture. So Paul has come out the gate very strong, establishing a foundation of truth that not just the church at Colossae needed to know, but for all of us to believe in today. And now Paul has turned his focus to ministry within the church. Now when I say ministry, what usually comes to your mind? You might think of churches, organizations, maybe mission projects, missionaries of all kinds. When you think of ministry, those are maybe some things that come to your mind. Now when you hear the word minister, what comes to your mind? Probably the word pastor or minister of music, or maybe even youth pastors or children's pastors. Here's the thing. Yes, the pastor and the rest of a ministry staff of a church are ministers, but they are not the only ministers within a church. They are not the only ministers within a church. Yes, there are those who are called to the office of elder and deacon, But understand this today, church, all believers are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and should live their lives as such. You have been given a call through the Great Commission to be a minister of the gospel. Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20. You know it. Most of you can quote it, but I'm going to read it to you again. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is your calling into the ministry. This is your calling to be a minister. Yes, again, there are special offices for pastors, elders, and deacons, but you who are believers of Jesus Christ are now entrusted with the gospel. You have been entrusted by God with the gospel to take it to the nations. Now, when Paul uses this word in the Greek for minister, as you'll see in a moment... It's more than just, again, a minister being a pastor. That word minister is also used to use for the word servant. 
So when Paul calls himself a minister, he's simply calling himself a servant of God for the sake of the people. That's what Paul is describing in our text today, that he is a servant as we all should be servants. So when we read the, what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write today to the Colossian church, what we're going to see is what uh, God wants us to see about servanthood, what to expect in ministry, what to expect, what are the goals, what will you need to be successful in serving, in ministry. So let's read Colossians chapter 1 starting in verse 24 and reading to chapter 2, verse 5. And let's see what God has to speak to us today about when it concerns the foundation of ministry. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages, generations, but now uh, revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and God that you inspired him through your spirit to write this letter to the Colossian church. God, and I thank you today that this letter is still relevant to us here at Madden Baptist Church. So God, I pray as we look at this foundation of ministry, what that looks like, what you have called each of us to, God, I pray that you speak to our hearts. That God, if we need to hear the gospel, that we need to be revealed the gospel today, I pray that you do that. But God, if we need to be convicted of things we are not doing, God, if we need to be encouraged by the things we are doing, may it be so, God. But no matter what it is that you desire for us, God, I pray that your will is done in this room today. That your words will come out and our hearts will be open to receive your word today. God, we love you, we praise you, and it is in your son's holy and righteous name that I pray. Amen. So we have three questions today on what, uh, what it hap- what's the foundation of ministry. And the first question is this, what am I to expect in serving? What am I to expect in ministry? And it's very simple, expect suffering. I know it's not very encouraging today, but expect suffering. Look at uh, chapter 1 verse 24 with me. Chapter 1, verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. 
Now, we know during Paul's ministry that he suffered at times. And in this particular moment, Paul is in prison. And people didn't like what Paul was preaching. They didn't like what he was saying. And so the leaders had him arrested. Now, understand, in the times of the apostles, suffering was common. Whether the people of God were killed, they were beaten or arrested, they suffered for the sake of the gospel. And while it can be so easy to fall into this woe is me mentality when someone comes after our faith, woe is me, look what they're saying about me. It can be so easy to shut down when someone challenges our beliefs, but Paul responds in a different manner. Paul says that he what? He rejoices in his suffering. He rejoices in the suffering. He's rejoicing for being in jail. It's an odd concept for a lot of us to understand because most of us wouldn't rejoice for being in jail. But he rejoices because he knows that he is getting the word out to the people. He rejoices because he is in prison, because he is sharing his faith. He is sharing the word of God and praise God that the word of God is being presented. He said, I may be suffering, but the suffering is a result of the word getting out to the people. And so Paul's suffering in this sinful world is simply due to his faithfulness to the holy God. And being faithful to God is a blessing. No matter if it's suffering because of it. No matter if they're suffering because of what the world wants to do against a believer, being faithful to God is a blessing. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the first sentence in verse 14 says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Peter was telling the believers to do what was right according to God's word. And if you should happen to suffer for doing the will of God, Peter says you're blessed. And that blessing deserves rejoicing, church. That blessing deserves rejoicing. And if you're doing God's will and you suffer from the world's response... It's a clear marker of of where you stand with God, that you're doing what is right according to God, that you're doing His will. Listen, Satan, his demons, don't attack things that don't uplift the kingdom. If you're not doing anything to uplift the kingdom, Satan's not going to come after you. Satan and his demons are only going to attack what he knows is going to be beneficial to the kingdom. Paul suffered because he was faithful to God to plant in mature churches in order to further the kingdom. And we must expect suffering if we're going to be faithful. If you're going to be willing to be faithful to God, you've got to expect suffering. And not only should we expect the suffering just because of that, but we've got to expect the suffering because Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered from the ridicule, the hatred, the anger of the Jewish leaders And by the time Jesus would give up his life on the cross, many in the town of Jerusalem had turned against him. And if my Lord and Savior is going to suffer, then why can I even begin to think that somehow I'm going to be immune to suffering? Like what gives me the right to think I'm not going to suffer if my Lord and Savior had to suffer for me? How dare we think something like that? Listen, Jesus' message was countercultural. The world is not going to like the gospel. They're not going to like the message that they're so deep in the world. It doesn't line up with the world's message. 
And we know that the world will crucify that which doesn't line up with them. They did it to Jesus. And they're going to come after whoever does not line up with them. Paul said in verse 24, what did he say? I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, this is not saying that there was anything lacking in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Don't, don't misinterpret that there. Christ on the cross, that sacrifice was enough. There was nothing lacking in it. The sacrifice was fulfilled when Jesus said, it is finished. But when we talk about Christ's affliction here, we're referring to the suffering of the church. Because when the church suffers, Christ suffers. You know, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, what did Jesus ask him? Before Paul was saved, what did Jesus ask? Why are you persecuting me? Paul was killing Christians. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? It's because Jesus is afflicted. Jesus suffers when the church suffers. Jesus feels it. And Paul is saying, I'm going to take on what suffering is still to be given to the church. Paul's welcoming suffering because he knows the church has to endure suffering. And he said, I'm willing to take it. How many of us are willing to take on suffering for the church? Paul said, I'll take it on. Why? Because that's what it means to be a servant. That's what it means to be a minister of the gospel. I am willing to suffer for the church, for the sake of the growth of the church, and for the sake of the lost who need to hear the gospel. I'm willing to suffer. Can we say the same about us? We must expect suffering if we're willing to follow the will of God. Embrace it and rejoice in it, church. That's what we should expect. But what's the goal of ministry? What's the goal? That's a good question to ask. What are we trying to accomplish with ministry? Well, let's look at verse 25 and read to verse 29. Paul says, of which, talking about the church, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. In anything in life, we should always ask this question, what is the goal? Whether it's, it's uh, you know, talking about schoolwork, talking about your job, talking about your kids playing sports, your kids taking music, yeah, anything in life, any payments, anything you can think of in life, what is the goal? Why are we doing this? Should always be your question. Why am I called to the ministry? Why am I called to serve? What am I trying to accomplish? And look at what Paul is saying in verse 25. He says, I became a minister. I became a servant of the church to what? Make the word of God fully known. His goal, the goal that we all should have, is so that the word of God can be fully known. He says, I am here to teach you of the things that were once a mystery but are now revealed, as verse 26 says. I'm teaching you what was once a mystery has now been revealed to you, church. 
What is this mystery that Paul is talking about? The mystery is, who is the coming Messiah? Throughout the Old Testament, they were wondering, who is this coming Messiah that the prophets speak of? Who is coming to save us from our sins? And Paul says in verse 26, that mystery that was hidden for the ages and generations is now been revealed through Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come. And he has come to take on the sins of mankind. Jesus Christ is his name. And it is my goal, Paul says, to tell you about this Jesus. He would teach and preach that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah who gave up his life for mankind because mankind owed a death penalty debt. They owed their lives for their sins, and Jesus was willing to give his life to overcome that debt through his resurrection. And now he lives and is seated at the right hand of the Father now. And this that was once a mystery is now revealed to the saints. And according to verse 27, the richness of the mystery that is now Christ can live within the believer. The richness of that mystery that has now been revealed is that now because of what Christ did for you, Christ can now live within you. And we know Christ lives within us through the Holy Spirit And it should be our desire that everyone should hear that message, church. The message that Paul is speaking of. We should should have a desire that everyone should hear this message. That everyone would receive Christ as their Savior and the Lord. My calling, me personally, as a minister, is to preach the gospel. And if I get up here as your pastor and teach you self-help tricks... If I give you advice on relationships, finances, and families, or anything else, but I fail to preach you the gospel, then I am not fulfilling my calling as your pastor, nor any other pastor that's behind a pulpit today. If they don't preach the gospel, they have failed in their calling. I will fail in my calling. Paul says he wants to tell everyone of this Jesus. Look at verse 28 again. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, and that we, we, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This should be our desire, church. You call yourself a believer in Jesus. It should be your desire that everyone you come in contact with should hear the gospel. That should be within our hearts daily. I am called to love God, to love my neighbor, and to love my enemy. And the greatest act of love that we can give is to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And that starts right here in Madden, Mississippi. It's where it starts. And if I don't love others enough to tell them about Jesus, church, then how can I say I love God? Would you think about that for a moment? If I don't love others enough to tell them about Jesus, then how can I say I love God? John addressed this in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. What does he say? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
is the love for others that drives us to warn them, to teach them about eternity, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, and they need to be saved from the path of hell and put on a path to heaven. That is the message we need to preach. I love you so much that I would give everything that I have within me more, more to make sure that you hear the gospel. That's why Paul said in verse 29, For this I toil. For this I toil. I want to give all I can through the power of God, which is what we need to see, right? It's what we need to do. When we talk about preaching and teaching and serving others, we're not talking about doing this on our own efforts. You can't do this on your own effort. This comes from the power of God. Again, look at verse 29 right there. For this I told, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God is the one who gives me the ability to preach and teach. God is the one who gives us all the ability to tell others about Jesus. And only God can do that. So many people don't want to tell others about Jesus because they fear they're going to say something wrong. They're going to mess it up. I'm going to to do something that's going to turn people away. And yes, you might mess it up on your own power. That is true. But we're not called to be servants under our own power, church. You aren't called to be servants under your own power. You are called to serve under the power of God. And that is what allows us to do what we are called to do. It is the power of God that allows us to be the church He has called us to be. The goal is simple, church. Preach the gospel, but this can only be accomplished through God. Rely on Him. We know what to expect. We understand the goal. Now, what do I need? You're going to need to care. You're going to need to care. Look at verses, uh, chapter 2, 1 through 5. Chapter 2, 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea, and for all, all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Out of the love we should have for one another will come care for one another. Paul says how great, in verse 1, how great a struggle I have for you. Basically, Paul is saying here, I care so much about your faith and how you're maturing in the faith and the issues that may come that I struggle for you. As your pastor, I want to be personal. It breaks my heart to see you suffer and hurt because I care so deeply for each and every one of you. The same struggle is also found in how much I want you to get this right. I want so badly to see the lost people are saved. I want so badly to see church members mature in their faith as believers. And I have seen pastors time and time again struggle in ministry because they want so badly to see their members walk in the will of God. But like parents, they get frustrated and they get discouraged when they see the bad decisions that are being made. They hurt. When the members hurt, a pastor that truly cares for his people will struggle greatly because it matters to him. But it should not only matter to the pastor. 
It should, we should all, as the church, care greatly for those around us to get it right. We should care greatly that it burdens our hearts greatly, church. Paul is saying that he is willing to struggle in order that, look at verses 2 and 3. He is willing to struggle so that the hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, I am willing to struggle. I am willing to suffer. I am willing to lay it all on the line because I desire for you, church, to have a heart that is encouraged, to be unified in love, to have full understanding and knowledge of Jesus, where all wisdom and knowledge reside. Paul wants this for the church of Colossae, but I guarantee you he wants it for every church. I guarantee you it was his heart's desire that even today churches like us would figure this out and we would have this same heart. And he wants all believers to understand the foundational truth of Jesus so that we would not give in to these false doctrines and teachings. Look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Listen, there are false teachings outside these church walls, and I want so badly for you to understand the truth of Jesus so that when those outside the church try to persuade you with lies and false theology, that you'd be able to not fall into those traps. You would be able to avoid them. But not only that, but that you would be able to reveal to them that Jesus is the truth. Because listen, this wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we're talking about, it's not just for us. It is to be given out to the world to tell others of the gospel. That we are all sinners in need of saving. That we were all sinners on the path to hell and we need to be saved off that path. And Jesus provided the way out. For those who believe in Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection and let Jesus be Lord of their lives, the Bible says they will be saved. They'll be taken off the path to hell and put on a path of righteousness. And not only should we care for others when they're going through difficulties, and we should more than just care enough to tell us about Jesus, we should also care enough to celebrate the victories, church. Celebrate the victories. Verse 5. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit. Listen, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness in the faith of faith in Christ. I rejoice for those who are saved. I rejoice for those who are growing in their faith, those who are willing to serve. Understand, brothers and sisters, we are not in competition with each other. There are too many churches today that are at odds with one another because they are in competition with one another. No, we are, are, are a church unified by the gospel who is to love one another, to celebrate victories with one another. We celebrate as walking together as the body, rejoicing, praise God for what he is doing in us even now. But sometimes our selfishness can get in the way and we don't celebrate the victories. Being a servant means you're willing to be selfless and put yourself to the side, church in order for others to grow. Do you care for those around you? Do you want to see the lost get saved? Even that person you don't think deserves it. Let me be clear about something. If you think someone doesn't deserve to be saved, or is unable to be saved, then you need a reality check on your own life. None of us deserve to be saved. 
That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called grace. God was willing to offer salvation even though we could never repay the favor, even though we did not deserve salvation. And if God can save me, he can save anyone. And hear me clear, if God can save you, he can save anyone. It's a reality check that we all need in our lives. God can save anyone at any time, no matter what they've done. God can save. If he saved me, He can save anyone. And today, God can save you. Maybe today you recognize that you're lost. Maybe today you realize, you know what? I have not given my life to the Lord. I haven't lived my life as I should, and I've been doing everything on my own. Hear me today. You can be saved. You're not too far gone. If this is you, and you recognize your need for salvation, I'm going to ask you when the music starts, I'll be right here up front. You can come down and say, Pastor, I want to be saved. It's that simple. Maybe today you have been saved for quite a while, but you've yet to let your church family know. Today you can make that public so that we can celebrate the victory of salvation, church. Maybe today you've recognized there's some sins in your life that are keeping you from living out the life of a servant, the life of a minister of the gospel so maybe today you want to come to this altar you can stand or kneel whatever you feel most comfortable doing and you can seek forgiveness through prayer maybe today there's a burden on your heart maybe somebody you're thinking about or or maybe in your own life there's some burdens going on in your life and you need some direction you need some help but you also want to pray for someone that may be hurting today and you want to speak on behalf of them You can come to this altar and pray for them as well. It's not just a place to bear out your sins. It's also a place to plead with God. To be there for others. To help you with the burdens of your life. You can use this altar today. But hear me clear, church. However God is asking you to respond today, be faithful to it. Don't stand there at your pew when God's told you to move. Don't sit there and just try to pretend everything's okay. When God said it's not okay, it's time to get it right. Whatever God wants you to do today, I want you to be faithful to it. Be obedient to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you thanking you for this day. God, we thank you for the word that you've given us. God, we thank you that you've called us all as believers to the ministry. God, yes, you call some of us to be pastors, some of us to be elders, some of us to be deacons. But God, you've called us all to be ministers of the gospel, to go out and share the good news of salvation. So God, I pray that we understand that calling today as believers. But God, if there's anyone here who does not believe in you, who has not put their faith and trust in you, God, I pray that they're willing to answer the call of salvation today. That, God, that they would be willing to step forward, to not stand at their pew, but they'd be willing to step out and step forward and let the church know they want to be saved. God, there may be some of us in here that are dealing with sin, and we just need to come to this altar and seek forgiveness through repentance. But maybe, God, there's someone on our hearts that we have been burdened by. God, whether it's somebody we know who's hurting, someone we know who needs to hear the gospel, God, maybe it's something in our own lives we feel burdened by. God, may we use this altar as a place to come and worship, to praise you, 
through prayer. God, however you desire for us to move, I pray we move faithfully to it. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray this prayer. Amen.